0: Ciao amici, welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today, we'll be talking about Lucchino Visconti's 1948 film La Terra Trema*, or The Earth Trembles. As a brief milestone note, this month, March 2022, marks the centenary of legendary director Pier Paolo Pasolini. His life was tragically cut short as he was murdered at age 53, but in less than two decades of filmmaking, he directed many significant works of world cinema, spanning from the end of neorealism with Acatone and Mama Roma in the early 1960s, to avant-garde, more abstract works like Porchile and Teorema, to his envelope-pushing Trilogy of Life and his most infamous work, Salo or the 120 Days of Sodom. However provocative his films may be, though, his body of work is an incredible equilibrium of the human experience, balancing grace with cruelty, hopelessness with transcendence, and bringing strength and humanity to the forgotten. His films elevate the common man into a true work of art. He's a favorite director of mine, and I've done a few essays and podcasts on his work. I'll include some links in the show notes. A selection of his work is also featured this month on the Criterion channel, including nine of his feature films. An exciting development is that four of these, Acatone, Love Meetings, Por Chile, and one of my favorites, The Gospel According to St. Matthew, open with the Janus Films logos, so fingers crossed for restored home video releases coming soon from the Criterion collection. Now, to get to our main subject, Visconti's 1948 film La Terra Trema. This was Visconti's second feature film, following Ossessione from a few years earlier, and as a neo-realist film focused on the lower classes, were in quite a different setting from the Visconti films that he's most famous for, the extravagant, opulent interiors of his period costume dramas like The Leopard, Senso, L'Innocente, to name a few. Like The Leopard, however, La Terra Trema also follows a Sicilian family, albeit one not of nobility, but of the lowest social strata, during a period of political and societal transformation. La terra trema is inspired by the 1881 novel I Malavolia by Giovanni Verga. The title I Malavolia refers to the main family, but the English language title is sometimes translated to the house by the Medlar tree, referring to the longtime home of the main family. It follows the Toscanos, a family of fishermen, and the many struggles that they encounter, including debt, disease, and death. The story is set in Acitretza, a small village near Catania, and much of the conflict emerges from the wealth and potential that the bigger city offers, at odds with a life in the small town that some of the younger generation finds as dead-end and cyclical. There is a sense of hopelessness and never being able to break out of that poverty that the family has been destined to. The narrative is often dark and unforgiving, as tragedy unfolds and is told in an impersonal, unemotional tone, a literary objectivity that is very similar to the cinematic neorealism that would unfold in Italy decades later. La Terra Trema, as a film, is part of this neorealist tradition. The overall arc of the narrative is very similar to the novel that inspired it, though with a few changes and a bit of a different lens. It follows a multi-generational family the volastros with a patriarchal grandfather at the head along with his daughter-in-law and her children including her young adult sons ntoni and cola and daughters mara and lucia they are a family of fishermen and ntoni a former soldier who's been able to travel and see what else is out there pushes the family to find ways to rise up asking merchants for better rates going out on their own getting a mortgage on their house to fund a business venture, thus eliminating the middlemen and selling their fish directly to market. None of these ideas pan out though, and the family begins to crumble due to disease, temptation, and desperation, and each setback embeds them even deeper into a poverty from which they can never escape. The theme of Destiny, that these characters are confined to this fate, recurs throughout the film in several different ways. The sheer rhythm of the storytelling, recurring images of the fishing boats leaving and returning to port, the sound of the church bells ringing, marking the schedule of the day, the ongoing buzz of the shouts of the fishermen and merchants haggling on the shore. There is a norm and an everyday constant way of life that started long before the action of the film begins and will continue long after. We also see this hit home in a quiet though powerful way. In sequences with the whole multi-generational family, we see things like the grandsons and the grandfather all sleeping in the same cramped room. In a later scene, the community salts a big batch of anchovies all together, and we get quick edits jumping around the company joining in, from children to young women to old ladies all taking part in this ritual. It's both a moving, unifying image that they are all equals playing the same roles, as well as a reminder that this is the future awaiting these children. The spaces and roles that they occupy today will remain the same well into their old age. The routines and ongoing cycle of their lives is even embedded in the way that they speak. In particular, the family's grandfather, as well as Antony, speak in proverbs, commenting on each scenario with a sense of knowing and a tried-and-true wisdom from older generations, To keep applying to today's problems. Later in the film, Nteni gets fed up with his grandfather's proverbs, irritated that they don't work anymore. Nteni's perspective is also a unique one. As a former soldier who has been able to get out of Acitretza, perhaps up to this point, no one has thought to question the norms that they so easily abide by. The growing divide between the older and newer generations is also paralleled by the political context that the film is set in, around 1947, shortly after World War II. The fascist regime officially ended in Italy in 1943, four years earlier, and elements of the fascist era linger on. At the end of the film, Ntini is left with no other choice but to beg to join someone else's fishing company, and the merchant in charge, who's, of course, at a higher economic standing, Is framed in an image with Mussolini's name printed on the wall behind him. As the camera pans out, we see that Mussolini's name is part of a quote, still up there on the wall, despite the fascist regime being years out of power. It reads, Go with determination towards people. Not only does this Mussolini quote show the out of date, politically behind nature of this institution, but there's also a cruel irony in the words themselves. The merchant's jeers and mockery of Antony and the other poor fishermen is anything but going towards the citizenry. These echoes of the fascist era are layered with the rise of another political movement, communism. While communism itself is only expressly mentioned a few times in the film, its ideologies are baked almost organically into how the Velasco family operates. Everything they earn from the merchants is shared equally among the family members. The patriarchal grandfather gets the same amount of cash as his grandchildren. Having a voice and making a shared collective decision is also how the family aligns around making big changes, impacting the whole family. When Antony recommends mortgaging the house, they ultimately only do so because they all agree to. The communal, egalitarian experience in the household does not surface outside their home, however. Ntini and his family have such a hard time, as sole actors, advancing forward and fighting against the merchant buyer's low prices. If he and his class united, he believes, they could better collectively bargain and advance their interests as a whole. Almost as an alternate, the story also shows the pitfalls that await when pursuing individual interest and going it alone. Ntini and his family gamble it all on their own business venture. They lose everything, including their boat, their home, and practically their livelihood. My opinion is that the film isn't trying to show that individual pursuits are inherently doomed to fail, but rather from those already from a disadvantaged starting point there's not some clear attainable path out of poverty, but rather a communal structure is the only way out. In fact, the Communist Party was the impetus for how the film was even made. During the 1940s, when Visconti was primarily a director for live theater, the party commissioned him to make what was intended to be a propaganda documentary film about fishermen, which turned out to be a fortuitous opportunity as Visconti had acquired the rights to the novel just years earlier. The film developed into the scripted feature that became the final product and employed local everyday people as the actors a key quality of the neorealist movement the communist leaning also takes the political changes taking place during that post-war era and applies them to a story originally written decades earlier in addition to the political undertones another interesting element to unpack is the composition of different scenes and how the mise-en-scene of different moments are staged. The beautiful on-location shooting, right on the shore at Trezza helps create that sense of day-to-day life and routine, as well as some of the most memorable imagery from the film. There's a powerful moment when Antony is hopeless, with the family's fishing boat and all prospects lost. He goes to each individual fishing company, asking if they could use an extra set of hands, but nobody takes him on. He walks sadly, defeated, weaving between the empty fishing boats like open caskets, just this wide spanning image of emptiness. The camera stays in place as he continues walking on past vacant boats, and he practically disappears from sight. The voiceover narration observes that nobody wants him in Tretsa. He's got no purpose or place, and he might as well disappear. The shoreline also has a powerful moment of staging. When Antony and the other men take the boat to Catania as the final step in his vision to strike it big and amass wealth, a storm breaks out and the church bells chime to call boats back to shore. Antony's boat doesn't return though, and his sisters, Mara and Lucia, and the other women of the family come out to the rocky coastline to stand guard, watch, and pray. Initially, they're seen from behind, and in the black and white color palette, Their dark shadows evoke the nearby islands of the Cyclops, as though the women themselves are coming out of the landscape. The perspective then shifts to view them from the front as they stand, with the camera angled upward so they tower into the sky, as strong, steady figures facing the challenges of fate and nature head-on. Another interesting and unsettling moment of mise en scène takes place between the two brothers. Antony and Kola. Kola has just met an out of towner who has lured him into some new prospects, giving Kola a new pack of cigarettes and the offer of going away. Kola is at first alone in the boys bedroom, then his brother Antony arrives and they begin talking. Kola wonders aloud whether it be best that he go elsewhere, that there isn't a future for him in Tretsa, and his best bet would be to make his fortune someplace else and support the family that way. His words sound as though it's all for the family, but the way he's lit from below in a borderline sinister light, he could very well be lying and looking to get out just for himself. During this exchange, we mostly see Kola from behind with his face reflected in the mirror. Kola's image is doubled, like he's splitting off in two, a visual marker of this sudden pivot of who he used to be to who he is now. For most of the film, he stands with Antony and the family, supportive and stepping in where he can, at home in Trezza. This change of heart, to leave his home and family, is so antithetical to our understanding of him, resulting in a visual representation of this new divide of two colas. And perhaps the greatest staging of all, is so emblematic of Italian neorealism and on-location filming, is the backdrop of the real town, Acci And how the geography of the town amplifies the film's themes and power dynamics. The main authority in town is called the Finance Squad, a team of marshals who oversee the partnership between fishermen and fish merchants who sell the fish that the fishermen catch. As the highest authority in the town, they are staged as such. They have a centralized building and are set up on a balcony, elevated over the walkway where the everyday townspeople walk. When they are called in to resolve disputes, The squad rushes down a set of stairs, down to the beach to sea level, literally going down to intervene with the populace that they're hired to serve. An even more chilling example of this power relationship is with one marshal in particular, Don Salvatore, and his relationship with Lucia, one of the young women in the family. She has caught his attention, and he comes by their window, always smiling and speaking gently, but elevated higher than she is. From the camera's perspective we're looking up at him and looking down at her he is also a full-grown adult and she a teenager he is in a position of authority she in an impoverished family his presence feels so predatory even trying to woo lucia with fine things like a silk handkerchief and jewelry as though he were the witch from snow white luring her in the setting of Achitrezza, in particular its coastline also plays into the economic gap between the fishermen and the fish merchants. The fishermen are those who have to work hard, trudging down and gathering fish overnight, often facing severe weather and trying conditions, while the fish merchants take little risk at all, staying put on the shore or even in buildings. Similar to the literal elevated status of the finance squad marshals, the power of the fish merchants over the fishermen Is highlighted through the coastal geography and who has to go down and work. Another element of Acitretza that adds an interesting layer is its geology, specifically the islands of the Cyclops. In the film, you can't miss them. They're in practically every shot showing the shoreline as three tall mini islands rising out just off the coast. The mythological explanation behind these is that these were the stones that the Cyclops threw at Odysseus and his men in the Odyssey. The Cyclops, according to legend, lived at the nearby volcano Mount Etna, and Odysseus was passing by Sicily on his way through to the Strait of Messina between Sicily and mainland Italy. The site of a mythological event, of a giant cannibalistic creature striving to defeat a man just passing through, can certainly be taken as a parallel to the oppressive control of the ruling class, the fish merchants, have over the fishermen. As the group with the upper hand, and the advantage over the proletariat, the mythologizing of economic roles, equating the merchants with a monster, and the workers as the hero, is certainly fitting for a story with the class struggle at its core. In fact, we see a sign with the name of the fish merchant society Ciclope Società Trasporto e Vendita Pesce, or Cyclops Society of Fish, Transport and Sale, explicitly equating the merchants with the monster. If you visit Acitretza today, many things, malls, sports clubs, hotels, are named after the cyclops and their geological marvel. Perhaps naming the merchant society with the cyclops is another true-to-life neorealist touch, though it's hard not to associate this group, mostly portrayed as villainous and overbearing, with the monster namesake of their institution. I really enjoyed this movie from my very first viewing. I had just read the novel, I Malavoglia, and it was neat to see how the characters and settings came to life on screen. Something interesting to point out is how much their time setting varies. The novel is from 1881, about 20 years after the unification of Italy, and the film is set in 1947, just after World War II. The underlying political situations are different, at distinct moments in history, but the main story of a fishing family in crisis remains the same, which is a sad reality that the cycle of poverty and inability to get an economic footing was still facing Sicilian fishing families 60 years after the novel was first published. This story also feels somewhat personal for me. Acitrezza is literally one town over from where my family comes from, And that generation of immigrants from sicily was also headed by a fisherman this story both as a book and as a film is a powerful insight into what life there was like 140 years ago for the book and 70 years ago for the film if you enjoyed la terra trema i would recommend really any of the great italian neorealist films one in particular that feels similar to la terra trema is vittorio de sica's excellent ladri di biciclette or bicycle thieves Bicycle Thieves is also about a poor family, where the father finds an economic opportunity by getting a bicycle, as a new means to find work and help his family move up. The bike gets stolen, though, and the setbacks and hardships he and the family face remind me of La Terra Trema, with good intentions falling through and no support or help to get back on track. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate and review, subscribe, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And until next time, ciao Michi.